seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 153 of Color of Magic, your magic and gaming podcast, where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. I am your host, Daquan Watson, and for 153 episodes, still got my main man all the way down south, Brian Allen, riding shotgun. How's it going, man? Maybe, yeah, I should just say, we're way down south and shotgun in the same sentence makes me nervous. But yeah, doing good. That that is true these days. I got to be careful with that. that. That's not <laughs> those are things that are already synonymous and not for good reasons. So, yeah, that that could be a real problem. Uh, yeah, but, you know, we got a lot of different things to talk about this week. And the, I don't know. I think I'm gonna get a little personal this week. So let, let me let me pay some bills real quick and tell everybody to go check out cardsfigure.com If you haven't checked them out, they are a wonderful site to buy and sell cards, mostly because you can name your price on what you want to buy and sell something for. And it's actually really cool, and they're super helpful, and the community is good. They even have a Discord channel where people help each other out, you know, if you need help gauging a condition or whatever. It's all there. So go check them out over at Cardsphere.com. And then if you want to support the show directly, you can go to Patreon.com slash Color of Magic, just like Jonathan Zybel, who's been a member since June 21, July 21, actually, I think is the date. So thank you for that, Jonathan. And if you want to buy some stuff to rep us when you're out in public, go into your game stores or back to events, check out colorofmtg.com slash shop, and you can pick up some tokens and playmats. All right. That kind of brings us to what's going to be a little bit of... Uh, Contentious soapbox, we're gonna call this. And this one, I'm I'm gonna say outright, this one, this one's me taking some stuff a little bit personal. To the point that I almost went out off on somebody on Twitter, but I didn't, because I thought better of it and said, you know what? I'm probably not gonna feel as bad about this tomorrow. And we have a show, we could talk about it or whatever. But in case you didn't see it, there was news for the Commander Rules Committee, and they appointed two new people, and people feel some kind of way about it, good or bad, whatever. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But the thing to me that upset me, because there's, a, you know, people are going to have opinions. I'm not worried about that. Everybody's going to talk, feel however you're going to feel. But when it got conflated all the way around to the point of the people they appointed or the people in charge of making the rules and discussions of over commander have no wherewithal concern or regard for people in impoverished situations. I took that personally because one, I've spent a lot of time of my adult life helping people in impoverished situations. I've helped start after school programs in underprivileged schools. I have donated to charities and run programs for people, kids whose parents are locked up. I have done countless stuff for food banks. I have helped with big brothers, big sisters. Like, so to tell me that like, and I'm not, and I'm only speaking for myself. I know others on, on the rules committee and in the commander advisory group also do other charitable things but I'm speaking for myself. 
And as an adult who's put that much time giving of myself, even at times money I didn't have to help other people in those situations, that that rubbed me the wrong way. And then on top of that, to not even talk about my personal situation, where I've, I've told you before, Brian, I was beyond poor. I was literally destitute growing up at points. Yeah. That's a word people can go look up if they don't know what it means. <laughs> but literally scraping by to live out of a motel room. You know, having trauma as an adult, literally, because I hate the cold so much, because we ended up living in this busted ass trailer for a while where we ran out of propane a couple days before payday during the winter. And I still hate the cold to this day. Having days at my job where I'm running a business, not paying myself for a couple months while I'm making sure everyone else, including my employees and everything got paid first. So to tell me, I don't know about not having money and not about being in poverty just because I happen to have at this point now some amount of clout and being in a position of very minor authority at that. That that oh, that got to me <laughs> like and anybody who follows me, who knows me, who's listened to the show, whatever. That would give you a loan if you did any even the modest amount of research. On anybody on the committees. That would tell you something. And it's not like Shivam's out here that's been balling out of control. And we've had him on the show. So it's like, man, just like people, we got to chill. Seriously. Like I get not liking something or not liking a position or a decision or what. That's cool. Like, and we should have our differences and we should discuss our differences, but to take it so far to where you're just going to start making assumptions about people completely unfounded when you know nothing about the people involved, obviously, that's just stupid. And I don't know what type of clout, fanfare, whatever some of these people are trying to win over, but come on. Like, I, I don't know, man, it... it and maybe I let it get to me too much, but I feel like I have given a lot of myself over the last, especially over the last 20 years for sure. And to just have somebody come up like that and be like, oh yeah, well these people, they don't know nothing. They ain't never been poor. They don't know about people in poverty. Like, man, I literally had a moment where I was just like, I, I mean, I ain't gonna lie. I almost just went ratchet on Twitter. I, I almost just did it, man. I was like, you know what? Today might be the day. <laughs> like, You're definitely gonna ratchet on Twitter. <laughs> um, seriously, I literally I had that thought of like, is today the day? You know, like I, I literally had that question to myself of like, and and it's weird, right? I've had people attack me, say so about all kinds of other things, but I felt like that to just try to disregard everything about me and everything I've done. To one, come out of that situation and two, try to raise other people out of that situation and just say, oh, well, this person's in this spot. So they don't they don't know nothing. And it was like, man, I, it, it, it bothered me. I ain't going to lie. Like, and I'm and I'm pretty even killed about a lot of stuff. You know that. But like, that's one of those ones that I went, nah, at least, that, if we didn't have a podcast, 
I'd have probably been done on Twitter this week. I ain't even lying. Like, if I didn't have this outlet, I probably would have said some stuff that would have got me in trouble. I ain't going to lie. I, I would have probably gotten a lot of angry emails from a lot of important people. I know that much. But all right, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to move on. I'm going to let you have some time, Brian. All right. Uh, as I'm sure many of you saw, Wizards has had to remove a, a passage from the Spelljammer Adventurer's Guide featuring the Hadozi, who, if you haven't heard, are a race of bipedal monkeys that uh, have, have been slaves in the past and apparently also sing from time to time. And just, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud after all the just the kind of journey we've been on with this company and how yes we we, we realize we made mistakes where we're going to do better with our lore with our choices with our hires and then bam space monkeys with guitars and, and, and there's i just i don't understand how this keeps happening and uh, apparently, I guess Wizards doesn't completely understand either because they've announced there's going to be an internal investigation to try to figure out what process went on where nobody raised their hand and said, hey, maybe not the, maybe not the enslaved space monkeys for any kind of RPG thing that we want to do. It's just bizarre. Uh, another... Uh, another black eyed. We feel like we keep coming back to, to these same things where we've we've been here so many times before. <laughs> it's just you know you know what that sounds like to me that the diversity director is going to be having some conversations with some higher ups in the R and D department and writers yeah. department for D and D, and saying like, hey, who checked off on this? And there's going to be a real conversation with some peoples. Th- th- and and may or may not cost somebody their job, but we'll see. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, just, I, go ahead, go ahead. I, I just it, well, like you said, this is this is what you have hired a diversity director for. So I don't know whether they weren't consulted. I, I'm going to assume that they probably weren't consulted here because I can't imagine that they would have signed off on this. The thing that gets me is. I don't even care about there being an enslaved race, right? Because it's a way you tell, like, this is somebody who's really bad. Slavery is still a thing that happens. Yeah, and this is a thing, and it's still a narrative you can use. It's a lazy narrative sometimes, but, like, I get it. It's a thing you do. But, like, the fact that you chose monkeys, like, (laughs) that, just And they sing. They sing also. Yeah. monkeys. It just... If you were checking off a box of racial tropes and stereotypes, like, yeah. Oh, by the way, they only became sentient when a brilliant wizard experimented on them. Like, oh, my. I mean, I will say, I guess at some point they overthrow the evil wizard or whatever. So, hey, bonus points for that. But, like, it's one of those things that, like, if you'd have chosen, like, I don't know, some random elf or dwarf looking race or whatever, and they're enslaved, like, I don't think anybody would have cared that much. Or if they had evolved from, say, fish. Yeah, know, that's fine, too. A lot of sci-fi shows. Probably could have got away with that, too. Fish, yeah. lizards, monkeys. <laughs> Come on, y'all. It was bad. It was bad. It was just like, 
some and get it. And that's why I'm saying I I would almost venture to guess it's the diversity director that's going to be having conversation with some of these people and saying, hey, one, who signed off on this? On two, because of the subject matter, did nobody decide to like talk to me or my department? You know, I think that's what it's going to be about. So, yeah. And maybe, maybe not. So I don't think somebody's necessarily going to get directly fired over it, but there's probably going to be some serious like demerits handed out that like you're going to be on notice. Yeah, there's going to be some kind of policy put in place and there needs to be to make sure nothing like this happens again. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It's it's to the point that even when you go back and try to watch like Planet of the Apes, the early ones, you're like, yeah, really? (laughs) You know, like all the undertones are there. You know what I mean? And this is kind of in that same ballpark of like, you're not really saying that, but you're kind of saying that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, at least they went and fixed it. It'll be pulled out, I believe, the next printing. They took all the stuff off the online and uh, D&D Beyond stuff. So, yeah, so if, if they, I mean, the one thing they get credit for is like this swift response, swift and correct response to this. Because again, I'm gonna, uh, I'm sure that a lot of people had no idea this was happening until it was out there. And yeah, and it was one of those adventures I really didn't have my eyes set on picking up because even old Spelljammer stuff I wasn't that excited about. So until somebody brought it up to me, I probably wouldn't have known either, honestly. Because it just wasn't a book I was going to pick up, but that's the sad part. Is the next time somebody sees Spelljammer, this is a, especially if they do a Google search. This is all. This is what's going to come up. Mm-hmm. Because it was the breaking news of the last week, and so that's be the first thing you see for God knows how long. It's funny you say that because that's one of the things I try to tell people that when you're dealing with PR type situations. It's not even particularly the subject matter itself. It's how it's viewed in the future. Because we live in a world where information just lives virtually forever. You know, unless you literally go through the effort and pay a team and you do an internet scrub and get with Google and all that. But like, basically, information lives forever now. And if it gets big enough or it's the story of the moment, there's going to be like 100 sites that have all shared the same information in the same story. So when somebody searches it, that's at least for the next probably five to eight years, that's going to be one of the top searches on your product, right? Until yeah, you make some other expansion for Spelljammer, and then, you know, people are talking about that enough that it pushes it down in searches. And even then, only the people, you know, that specifically cover, like, D&D-related stuff will talk about it. This was on the front page of every site that even kind of talks about gaming. Yep. So it's it's a tough thing. and And this is why you pay... Your different directors and PR people or whatever. And the rest of the people have to know, hey, there's a reason we pay these folks. You should work with them. But all right. We have some other interesting things we learned this week. And you know how it goes. We like to share everything with our viewers that we figure out and learn so we can enrich y'all's lives too. So Brian, what did you learn this week? Okay, great moment uh, Monday night at the Emmys when Cheryl Lee Ralph won uh, Outstanding Supporting Actress in the Comedy for Abbott Elementary. By the way, if you haven't seen Abbott Elementary, it is a brilliant show. Absolutely go check that out. I believe it's on, it, if you it comes on ABC regularly. It also streams on Hulu because everything has to stream at this point. And uh, yeah, just, just a great it was a great moment to watch her win. Her acceptance speech was very incredible. 
emotional. And Shirley Ralph is somebody who has been in the industry for decades. I was going to say forever because I don't remember when she wasn't. Right. I mean, you see, if you don't know who that is, she played Moesha's mom on Moesha. Again, she's been, uh, she was one of the original members of the Dream Girls cast. So she's done it all. And again, crying shame that she didn't have an Emmy before now. But I mean, thank God that, you know, that we got there. And I knew it had been a long time, but uh, Jackie Harry confirmed it on uh, on Twitter. The last time a black woman won this award was Jackie on 227 30 years ago. You know what? And let's be real. I, I ain't going to hate on Jackie because she is funny as hell. But the fact that she's the last one who won it and before her, really nobody else had won it. You know, and I'm just like. That almost seems wrong. Because don't get me wrong, I like J.K., but she ain't even the best we've had in that role. Although she was, uh, she, she was doing incredible work on 227. Oh, she was, you know, Agreed. She, she was brought in there. It was, it was what it, almost like Urkel or the Fonz, you know, or this will be a minor character. No, J.K. took that show completely over. But dude, that's, that's like what we talked about, though. How did, like, you know, Claire Huxtable not get one? Right. Esther Roll with somebody else were like, how did Esther Roll not get get one of those? Yeah, there's a bunch of nice characters that would have totally fit that were like yeah. America's mom at points, right? You know, I like just, yeah, I kind of started going down, you know, the 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 rabbit hole of trying to figure out like, okay, how many black women ha- have won Emmys? It's not a very long list. For example, the. Uh, Last black woman to win outstanding lead actress in the comedy was Isabel Sanford for the Jeffersons again, 30 some odd years ago. Are you, was it only 30 years ago? That felt like it was well, even longer yeah, than yeah, that. I'm probably being generous when I say, yeah, 227 yeah, was 30 years ago. Jefferson's is, yeah, yeah I'm old. Jefferson's <laughs> yeah, be at least 40 years ago right. when she won it because I barely only, remember watching the Jeffersons when I was once. like eight. Yeah, she only got it once. And how long was Jefferson's on? What, 13, 15 years? Probably? Something like that. Yeah, that's that's yeah, crazy does, to me. And on the pre-show, we were talking about how Tracy Ellis Ross, how how is she not gotten that? Dude, I, I can't say it enough. Like, Blackish is the one show that I am say, like, there's a billion shows I have not watched very much of. I am every time I watch an episode of Blackish, I'm mad at myself for not making time to just binge the whole series. It's that good. Like, it is th- like, I get why it's been on TV forever now. Because they're coming up on, what, damn near their 10th season or something? <laughs> like, feels like it's been on forever. And everything about that show is good. All the acting's great. The kids are great. The spinoffs are funny. Like, they cover social commentary perfectly. The fact that those, especially the two leads, and like, but the fact that you don't have somebody winning from that show every year is crazy it, to me. It's a crime that she did. She did apparently get a Golden Globe for it, but she did not win an Emmy. And again, that's a, just that's an absolute crime. I'm sorry. It's just, crazy I'm to me. I'm not saying. I, yeah, I know. You know, there are a lot of great shows, but as, as I said, you know, just Blackish is not only funny; it's topical. It does just so much talking about really just about the life experience of being a black, you know, middle-class family in America. And just, you know what? I just thought about something with Blackish. That might be the show I have to start recommending to people. And then if they come back and tell me like, nah, that wasn't that good. Like, I'm going to find your character questionable. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Like That's how I generally feel that way about that show. It's that good. That if you walk away and just go like, nah, that wasn't that good. I'd be like, really though? 
<laughs> like either you didn't really get it or you had really big problems with stuff being covered in that show. And either way, that's not good, you know. But yeah, one of my favorite scenes for that is where they're talking about how they just couldn't believe that white women didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, and then somebody says, "Well, there, there's got to be somebody black that you don't support all the time when they talk." Like for example, Ben Carson, and Andre's like, "Wait, that Ben Carson is the way you feel about Hillary Clinton? Yeah, okay, I get it. Never mind. I, I would mm-hmm. never vote for Ben Carson." Exactly. That's exactly. But that's what I'm saying, though. It's stuff like that that puts things in perspective for people. You know, that it's just a simple couple of lines. But then you're you walk away from that episode going like, ah, that does kind of make sense. You know what I mean? So, yeah, just great writing, great actors. Hopefully they all go on to have great careers after that show because it's coming to a close pretty soon. But, man, credit to all them. But that that is cool news. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All congratulations, Sarah Lee Ralph. Also, uh, Kinta Brunson, I believe, won won uh, an Emmy for uh, the, the the show overall. Didn't win, which is I guess almost considered an upset. But yeah, she is doing doing incredible work creating that show. And so yeah, definitely. If you had seen Abbott Elementary, please go check that out. If you, if you're a teacher, I feel like you've probably already seen it. If for some reason you're a teacher and you haven't seen it, I'm begging you to please go see it. Well, that brings me to just some weird news on one hand and disappointing news on another. So we'll start with the weird news that in case you are not aware, Patreon.com apparently released their whole security team, I believe, first thing Monday. Or I guess it was over the weekend, but kind of made news on Monday. But yeah, whole department gone. That's wild. Yeah, and people don't 100% know why yet either. And it sounds like... Some of the people who were fired also don't totally know why, because I did see a few folks helping their friends try to get jobs and whatever and posting stuff online and, you know, trying to get people interviews because they obviously have experience and they've worked for a really big company that deals with a lot of data. So they're probably going to be fine landing on their feet elsewhere. But I was trying to rationalize, like, how or why does this happen? I'm trying to remember if I've ever seen a company that size just bumped. I mean, I've seen isolated people, obviously. Yeah. Entire security team bumped. I can only think of two things, and there may be more, but these are the two that stood out to me. Is just the first is somebody or somebody's on that team got really, really close to some information on some people higher up. And to protect themselves, they were like, nah, y'all's got to go. <laughs> That's more the conspiracy theory type thought. The other is that maybe somebody found out about some things going on among the team and either figured it was going to be a big enough PR or HR situation that they had to let them all go. Now that could be anything, whether, I don't know, we've been at workplaces where you got a bunch of people sleeping with other people in the department. That happens. You've got issues where maybe there are security things that maybe people did some stuff with some information and enough people knew about it or didn't speak up or whatever that they thought they had to wholesale start over. I don't know. But something really bad happened one way or the other. And uh, I got to give a shout out to Casey Newton on Twitter who came up with this, but they mentioned that uh, Patreon laid off the entire security team and said, you know, there won't be a problem with security. (laughs) Casey said, getting rid of your whole security team and saying it won't affect security of your products is the worst thing you could possibly say about your security team. Yeah, that, that doesn't say a lot. That's kind of bad. 
Because on the one hand, either you're just lying, or two, your security team wasn't worth the damn anyway, and we ain't gonna know they're missing. Basically, saying uh, not a thing of value was lost. That's basically how it reads. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, okay, so yeah, that happened. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. It sounds like I guess they either hired or retained some type of security group or something God, in the background. So. <laughs> so they are hiring people back on, I guess. But in the meantime, but it's weird, man, to just come out of the blue like that. And honestly, the fact that it's been at the time of the recording over 72 hours and there's no additional information, really. Do, do, do we need to move our, our funds to call? I don't, have to- <laughs> I don't know. I think it's fine. They cash us out basically every month. So whatever. Um, but just- <laughs> But like it's it's interesting because the only thing I could find was I believe it was like a TikTok that sounded like it was a disgruntled employee. And I can't tell if it was somebody who was fired or somebody who still works there under anonymity saying that I guess they were told not to do certain things or not to cancel or close or whatever accounts that were connected to various levels of negative sexual behavior using their site. And I don't know if that's related or if it's even true because, you know, again, isolated account. We've seen people leave companies and be the angry employee or whatever. So who knows? There's been no follow-up from that. There's been, I couldn't find anything of people saying like, yeah, this is true. Or like, yeah, you know, I heard similar things when I worked there, nothing like that. So at this point, it's just one person said a thing, but something bad had to have happened. Like no no company that big is just going to get rid of an entire security department. Like if you're gonna even if you have to cut employees, you're not talking about cutting everybody in your security team. Yeah, of all the departments, you don't want a whole bunch of turnover at one time. Security is probably r- number one. Exactly. Like that's the part that doesn't make any sense. Because even if you said, hey, these two or three people are problems, or hey, we got to make budget cuts. Each team's gonna lose three or four people or whatever. Fine. But yeah, that news just was surprising to me because I really thought, oh, they let some people go from the security team. They must be about to do cuts or whatever. And then the more I read, I was like, oh, no, it was just all your security people. <laughs> like nobody else. Like, yeah, that's bad. Now, that's so bad. It almost seems like an error. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Now, that being said, we had another company that also had layoffs this week. Not necessarily firings, just actually true layoffs. And that was G4. So for those of you who don't know, G4 tried to relaunch uh, about this time last year, right? It was a little little I less. So. It might have been like yeah, September, October last year. I, I remember I think their big comeback video was like a G4 type Thanksgiving. So yeah, around this. Yeah, so it, it was pretty close. Time frame. So barely a year after relaunching, they are letting somewhere the estimates, the estimates are all 20 to 30 people. So we don't know the actual numbers yet. Uh, apparently, though, people came to work thinking it was going to be normal film time and got told, hey, two or three of these shows are not being filmed anymore and y'all need to go talk to HR. So they've started, I guess, working out severance pay for a bunch of people. They did say they're taking care of them. Everybody sounds like they're getting between 16 weeks and six months, depending on how long they've been on Comcast payroll, who's the parent company for G4. And, you know, I mean, it sucks, but at least they're not getting a raw deal on the way out. But yeah, I, I, for me, and I don't know how much of their stuff you tried to watch since the, pre, the relaunch, but. I, I'm saying, you know, like, uh, you know, definitely, uh, obviously, Xavier Woods, Adam Sessler, the people, yeah. you know, who I watched, the, especially the first time around. I've watched 
both of their stuff. And really, Xavier Woods has always been good, still great. Same, I would say the same thing for Adam Sessler. Yeah, I think for me, it just didn't feel like it. Like I, I think they were. It felt like they were banking on nostalgia too much, and didn't really innovate or bring something new to enough of the stuff. And maybe that's part of the problem that the numbers just didn't hold. But you know, we talked about it off offline. Like I think the plan is future. You kind of have to quit worrying about cable networks, and you exactly. get in either online or you get in with the streaming service. Yeah, I think as as a YouTube channel or some kind of streaming thing, it's going to be fine. There just is no reason in 2021 or 2022 to be trying to start a cable TV channel. It's a dying art form. Yeah, it's just just really not. And it just doesn't make sense by the math and, you know, the way you deal with ads anymore, whatever. And I, And honestly, I think bringing Xavier Woods was the right idea. I think they should replicate that for a lot of their other shows. You know, kind of we talk about like the football model, right? Where you get somebody who's good at being an entertainer next to somebody that's good at being a host. And then you just have them be your co-host for your show. And in this world, maybe it is. Let me go find a, I don't know if I want to say like a Markiplier, but like you go get one of those big YouTube stars or whatever and say, hey, you want to come host a show, film once a week, you know, whatever. Amaranth has been on there. I don't know if she's a regular contributor, but yeah, I know she's, she's done that's some That's another stuff. good one. Any of the people that work with the 100 Thieves group, like they'd all yeah. be well-known and be good. You know, uh, they've all. got uh, Black Hokaji on there, somebody that's uh, got a huge following on uh, YouTube. Yeah, just, that's what the network should be. And just say, hey, things have changed. Now the celebrities are different than they were. How? Actually, did their network debut 20 years ago now? Actually, now I'm thinking about 2002, it. 2002, yeah. Yeah, wow. that was a long time ago. I was thinking 03, but yeah, still 02. So it has been 20 years. And then since then, even since the relaunch, it's like, hey, there's a lot that's changed in 15, 20 years. And maybe you should be focusing more on bringing in these other stars and personalities or whatever that are more current and relevant to what you're doing. You know, hell, like, hell, have Ninja and Shroud and whatever and those people on, right? Since you're talking about video games and stuff. Like, people would tune in just to watch them. I'm looking at it now. It says the relaunch was the brainchild of uh, Tucker Roberts, son of Comcast CEO Brian Roberts. So he probably couldn't get any money to do this unless he agreed to put it on Comcast. Probably. And try to prop that up. And also, he's the president of the Philadelphia Fusion Overwatch team. So, yeah, they got a lot of investments that are probably not turning out the way they had hoped right now because of – even before all the stuff at Activision Blizzard happened, Overwatch League had been, you know, not as profitable as what they were hoping. And after all the stuff about ActiBlizz came out, I think they launched this season and didn't have a single sponsor. I don't know if it's better than that now, but. But, dude, we we talked about that right back last summer or so where you were seeing the shift away from esports, right? Because people are realizing that people like to watch it. You know, when there's a big competition, whatever. But when you're trying to do this all year, the average person isn't locked in to who's the top celebrity in the game I'm playing. You know, who? like there's a reason that Ninja was like, I don't need to be a top player in these games anymore. I just need to be entertaining. Exactly. You know, and the dude went from making, you know, a couple hundred thousands to making millions. Literally. We talked about how that was, you know, part of uh, Magic's mistake trying to be an esport as they assumed everybody that's a good player would be a good streamer. 
if yep. only it worked that way. <laughs> Sometimes it's the complete opposite. Somebody, believe it or not, can be incredibly good at a game, but can be terrible at streaming it because just because you're good doesn't necessarily mean you're entertaining. Well, dude, but think about that though. Even with Shroud, or not Shroud, but Ninja, he's was the best of both worlds. Yeah. And he still chose to be like, nah, I could just give up the competitive aspect. Right. <laughs> like that says something that a dude who was respected at being near the top and was an entertainer just went, man, it's way more fun just being an entertainer and I can get make more money. Let's do that. Because, you know, why work the 14 hour day, you know, if you don't have to? Yeah. Because to stay at the top of it, but we play kind of, sort of, you know, at Magic, yeah. Madden, the League of Legends, stuff, and we know how much time we have to put in just to get, you know, what go, what's your t- team fight tactics, right? Oh, yeah, Usually. for sure. Mine, at most, I'm like gold, too. And we know the kind of hours you got to put in just to get that. So, Which, by the way, pro. new update. I am at gold three already after just updated like last week. So I am making hella progress this season. My goal there is to be go. gold one this season. Okay, <laughs> I'm literally like I set small goals in that game. Like, can I get one higher this time? That's it. You have to. Like, yeah. But yeah, like, but I get it. I'm not putting in the time other people are going to to just be better at it. You know, that's just real. And I just have fun goofing around, talking to people trying silly things, you know, related. And honestly, I, I think the biggest thing, truthfully, now that, I, now that I'm just thinking about it, I think it's about just being more relatable. Yeah. When people watch me play and I'm like asking them for tips or, oh man, I've made that mistake too. Or I tried to build this team or I tried putting that card on my deck and it just never works. And, you know, I think that's way more relatable for people. You know, as much as we talk about, you know, I'll make a dumb mistake in a YouTube video or whatever. And of course you get 20 people wanting to point it out. I think you still get a lot of people that go, man, even people I watch every day make mistakes. Exactly. You know, and that matters to people. And I, and I honestly, I could edit that stuff out or I can choose not to put those games on. I actually leave them in there purposely. And people have asked me like, well, you know, you don't have, you don't have to deal with that. You could just edit it out or whatever. And I said, nah, it's better that it's in there because it actually makes you a relatable human. And so I get it. And I think that's just what we're seeing across the board. I think I think G four could still come out of this. I'm know. sure they will. They'll be at some point. They'll just be a YouTube channel that streams. Yeah, that or like we said, you know, they show up on on a you know like Peacock Network has a deal with Comcast through Xfinity, yeah. so it could very well become part of their thing, and that would make a lot of sense. And honestly, there's not a lot of what they do out there. So if you want to get the video game, you know, upper teens, mid 20s community or whatever, millennials or millennials or whatever, right? They have a lot of content for them. I will say there's a lot more people doing it than there was in two that or there there were in 2002. Yes. But if you look around outside of something like Twitch or YouTube whatever, we don't have a lot of resources for it. I mean, because I was thinking, you know, we get the big budget nerd movies, you know? yeah. but that's about it. We don't really have regular television shows or serials or whatever based around that. So, yeah, I could see them still making it after this. It's just going to have to take I a different approach. I think they will. They're just going to figure out because it's a matter of figuring out how big or small the operation needs to be. Yeah, I think that's really it. Uh, well, let's go ahead and dive into a couple of other topics before we uh, get to our closer this week. 
All right, so I'm going to bring it back to the whole Commander Rules Committee thing that started some commotion this week, if you will. And for those who don't know, the Commander, we'll call it General Committee, basically has two groups. There's the Rules Committee that kind of is the final say on things, I guess is the best way to describe it. And when there are issues that we, and I'm a member of the commander advisory group, which is the group of people just below them, we kind of bring it to them and they're like the go between to talk to people at Watsi or whatever, if we have concerns or whatever, stuff like that. They announced that there were two new people being added to the committee this week or to the rules committee, not to the advisory group. And I've, Pretty sure they were both in the advisory the advisory group previously. So they're just getting promoted, if you will. And the fact that neither was a person of color, I think really bothered people. You know, and don't be wrong, Jim and Olivia, both great people. I've had the chance to talk and work with each of them at various points and no issues with either one of them. I think they are very good members of the community. I think they will 100% do their job well. Also, though, people that were complaining about the representation, this, that, and the other, they kind of were talking as though, like, the rest of us in the commander advisory group weren't aware. <laughs> like, we did know the announcement was coming, and we were talked to about it, and we didn't have a problem with it. And I think, to me, that's where it should have started. It's like, hey, do y'all have an issue with it? And why or why not? Right? Because people, don't get me wrong, like, and, and me and Brian went back and forth on this off the air, right? Like, I'm all for there being more representation and more things. We've talked about it before. I think that's a good thing. But in this particular situation, I don't believe that me being promoted in some way was going to change anything in any significant matter. So to me, I'd like honestly, and, and I did express this, and this is something we're working on behind the scenes, by the way, but I don't have as much issue with the, we'll call it colored representation, as much as I do the geographical representation. Because I feel like there are a lot of things that are different in different play communities and uh, income levels and trade laws and all kinds of things, you know, country to country that can affect how stuff is brought in, what products are available and all that. Right. And, and that's a thing that having people on different continents could help you understand better. So that to me makes way more sense. And again, had they done that, they would have solved both of those issues. Yeah. And they did let people know that's something that's coming, right? We, there are people being discussed, talked about vetted that they do want to have. Cause honestly, Latin America need definitely needs representation for representation for a lot of things. Cause I mean, hell they're, they've basically been going through a revolution and there's, you know, there's, there's issues going on with their currency and like 80 different things happening. Right. So like there are things just being a North American, we're just not going to relate to or understand or whatever. So having people, well, like, sadly, I think we're closer to having had a revolution than what we, uh, <laughs> what we ordinarily would. You ain't wrong. <laughs> But hey, the dollar beat the pound for the first time in like, God, I don't know, what feels like two decades or whatever, a couple weeks ago. So yay us, I guess. I don't know. 
Take kind of the game, and it's like you took again an almost overthrow of the government and the death of Queen Elizabeth. So I don't exactly. know. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. We'll man. take what we can get. Yeah, exactly. Got to celebrate the small victories, right? England's down bad. Yeah, England. England. Oh man, they got budget Trump, and he, he you know, <laughs> like. I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, so that part does make more of an issue to me, right? Having people on different continents, more representation. That matters to me more than than just, you know, having a black person, brown person, whatever be on there. And it and honestly, and I'm going to be real with y'all. This is something I didn't think about to write before we were about to start recording because we talked about this for a long time. And kind of what popped into my head that, that I think really bothered me about this whole thing and it kind of comes back to my to my soapbox thing a little bit, is it feels like, and I could be wrong here, but f- thinking about the people that had complained about it and it were bothered by it or whatever, feels like we're conflating the issue with proxies being connected to poor people or some level of poverty in some way, and that being most recognizable to people of color. So I want one of them on the committee so I can get more of what I want. Which, okay, you're not completely wrong. Like we do know, especially in the US, people of color tend to be paid less and all that, right? We know that's a thing. So I kind of get that part of it. I don't necessarily like that line of thinking for wanting to put somebody in a spot. But okay, My issue, though, is whether the commander committee says you should or should not play with proxies doesn't change one iota whether somebody's going to do it or not. Like, literally, we just say tomorrow, you know what? We don't think proxies should be a part of commander. And you know what the people who want to play proxies are going to say? F you. I'm playing with my proxies. And they should. Right? You know I mean, like there's like there's nothing changing that, no matter who's in that spot or not. And that's the part I think that I more thought about it went, what do you think is gonna change or happen by by that person being there? Like you still play the proxies if you want to play them. And now we saw people with proxies at Command Fest at, at the two I attended. And honestly, what happened was just somebody said, Hey, I have these two proxies in here for these reasons, or this is the type of deck, or I need it for whatever. All right, cool. And then we played a game of magic. It was fine. I personally am on record as saying, I'm cool with people playing proxies, but if you bring like a deck that's got 30, 40 proxies in it, I'm not that excited against playing against you because we're not playing high powered magic. Now, if you are playing competitive or whatever, and you have to have those to compete with the other people, totally understand not holding it against you. But when you're playing a casual, like, be more creative. Find a way to build a deck with just other stuff. Build a theme deck. Do something fun. Hell, I have cards where decks where I literally have an old card I've had forever that happens to be expensive next to some junky uncommon because I just didn't have the other card available. But even in a casual game, you don't want to just get raffle stomped. <laughs> but there's ways you can do it and not get it. And I'm not saying play no proxies, but I'm saying when you feel the need to have to proxy off like 40 cards you know, to sit down and play, like, you didn't really build a deck. You weren't even creative. You copied some list, probably, or got some idea and just said, I want to play these exact cards. So, like, for me, not a thing. I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm not saying it's not a way you can play Magic. That's totally fine. I'm just saying I don't like it or appreciate it in my games. I'm not saying zero proxies, 
But I like yeah, to I mean, see what's, some... the, what's the hard line? How I don't many think there is. Seasons? I don't think there is a hard line, but I, I think that, that's the thing. If you're somebody, you know, that's a, a newer player, how do you determine how many is too many? If you don't I, know, I think, you know, like if you, if you have to cut out multiple sheets of cards coming off your printer, that's probably a lot of proxies. You know what I mean? Like anything more than two sheets, which would probably be what, like 12 cards. That's, that's probably too many. At least, at least for my games. But again, that's not going to affect other people. And my say doesn't mean anything. Like, if you want to play proxies, play with other people who want to play proxies. Totally fine. My issue with it, though, and this is what I've said before, is it's not. And and I also saw this brought up against Shelton as, or Sheldon saying that, like, he's more worried about protecting the stores and their money and whatever. It's like, no, but there is an actual economic component to this we can't ignore. Like, if every single card was available to every single person and there was no value and no collectability or whatever, there just wouldn't be a lot of extra stuff. You aren't getting extra sets because you're not being able to pay anybody to work on them or make the artwork or promote them or whatever. You're not going to have stores wanting to sell it or promote it or run events or whatever. That's just not going to be a thing, right? So whether we like it or not, some number of people have to buy cards and or singles to support the system. Because other than that, you don't, you can't pay all these employees to keep producing the game or whatever. And that's every pro like the same argument when I've seen people say like, Oh, well, I'm just going to get a 3d printer and print all my Tyranids for 40 K. Like, and you're not going to be bothered that they don't want you to play with those in an event or whatever. Like now if game workshop gets to where they're starting to to sell the, the designs or whatever for, okay, cool. But, and if you want to play those in your home game with your friends, great. But I get why they don't want those in their official events because they need to be able to make money so you even know what one looks like to be able to print. Because they have to pay a sculptor and an artist. Well, like at an official event, <laughs> sure. But yeah. like, you're talking about like you're talking about like a commander, like there's it's casual, right? It's, sure, it's sure. Just, I know there is competitive C, CDH, but Yeah, yeah. But generally the majority yeah. of it is casual. But I get it, right? Same thing. If you want to bring your your 3D printed Tyranids to a game store and they're like, ah, man, I don't know. I get it. Yeah, I do. I'm not saying like you have to go to the game store and play or whatever, but I, I get it. And we've seen other games try the tactic. And, and also, how many other games have cards that are worth three or four thousand dollars? Most most games don't ever live long enough to have three or four thousand dollar cards. Sure. You're talking about Pokemon and Magic effectively. Yeah. Like Yu-Gi-Oh has a couple that are some hundreds. Yeah, you know, so these are problems like, that most card games don't ever stay around long enough to have. But that's also part of the reason they have stayed around, right? You can't get a news story about a $20 card, but you can get a news story or Forbes talking about a Black Lotus, you know, which does have an impact. And again, I don't think it's, we should all just be supporting the system or whatever. I get it. If you can't afford to, you can't. Like, I've been there. I mean, I've I've been scraping by to where, you know, I had to decide how to spend my money on the game or not. Hell, I don't think I ever told this story. On the first pro tour I went to, I literally saved up a few months in advance, qualified, went, and I paid for a large chunk of it from tournaments I went to, specifically winning prizes and boosters that I saved to sell on that trip. And I ended up selling a bunch of them to the actual store, which is not there anymore, neutral ground at the time. 
because they just needed more for drafts and stuff. So I unloaded a whole backpack of cards of boosters <laughs> and sold them. That's how I paid for the rest of that weekend. So like, I get it genuinely, you know, just having to scrape by and figuring out how it's going to work or whatever. Like, it's not easy for a lot of people. I get it. But just the idea that nothing, like, here's the thing. Like we, who was it? Fantasy Flight tried that with their living card game idea, right? They did it with, uh l5r legend of the five rings they also did it i think with their game of thrones game and one other one maybe a lord of the rings game i can't remember but there was a third one i know they tried it with but they call it the living card game mechanic and basically when a set came out there was a deck that was produced or a pack that would have every card in the set and they were generally priced like i want to say between 20 and 30 bucks they they weren't crazy and the idea was like everybody would be able to get every card and then you can just build it. If you need three or four, you just buy multiple sets or whatever, right? But everybody could get everything. And even for Legend of the Five Rings, which was already popular, and the other two licenses being popular, they just didn't catch on. And part of it was like the stores were like, okay, we'll just make a skew and we'll just put it on the wall and then people can just buy it if they're interested or whatever. Like, they're just not as invested. And I And it's not a bad idea conceptually. Even on paper, it makes sense in your head. You know what I mean? But it just doesn't work. Hell, that was that other game. Um, crap, why am I forgetting the name of it? But basically, they made... Everything came in a deck. You didn't even buy boosters. You you got a full deck, and the deck was numbered in a way that everything in it was unique to that deck or whatever, that build. Oh, Keyforge? Yeah, Keyforge. And the idea there was like, okay, you would never mix and match cards, so you're not going to have super expensive singles. Because it doesn't do any good if you can't shove it into the deck, right? And that still struggled to take off. Matter of fact, they quit making that during the pandemic. So we've had other people try these ideas of saying, you can have every card. You don't need to have singles, you know, whatever. Like, very creative ideas to try to solve for the problem. And they never catch on. Versus is still going. In the second round of Versus, that's the way they do it. If you buy your Captain America deck and it comes with all Captain America's cards. And if that's all you want, you're done. I mean, it's still being printed. <laughs> well, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. But if we're talking about like, even if we did percentage of game stores that carry it right now, it's not all that big of a percentage for a thing that's well licensed by a big company. You know, there's just something about it. Just so, hell the DC card game still more popular. And that just comes as a box game. And it's not, and it's just a deck building game. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, if you have, what, you know about some DC card game? No, 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 no. It's, it's just their normal deck, the DC deck oh, building okay. game. So, like, it, it's tough. It's tough. Like, we have people who are trying very creative aspects to solve for it, but it just doesn't work because you don't get the infrastructure and the system to support it. And I get it. But I also understand being frustrated by it, right? I mean, we talked about it before. It sucks when you, Want to do a thing and, you know, all the cards to play. Building a deck is $800 or whatever. But credit to Wizards, at least you're now in a world where you're making enough versions that things are cheap if you want some of them. I mean, we have a lot of times now where there is a $50 card, but you can also get the, like, $3 version. And that makes it way more affordable. So it's helping, but they are having to hold on to reprint equity, and that causes another problem. So I don't know. But back to the point, 
we didn't have a problem with people being added to the rules committee. I think it was totally fine. I don't know what people are expecting to change with that. Like, I, I get it. Some people just want to see somebody there, and that's cool. But I don't have anybody who's given me a good reason outside of, like, the arguments we've seen for poverty and, and proxies or whatever. And, and that's that's not going to solve that problem. I would still say diversity does matter. <laughs> that would be my argument. Sure. I get it. Some people just want to see somebody. And you've I've talked about it before. There are things that people care about, want to fight over that I, that's not a fight I'm even interested in having. Like, I, I want to have the discussions and the fights over things that are bigger and more impactful. And that's not a spot that just feels impactful enough to me. And I get it. Other people can take up the fight. I don't have a problem with that. But it's just where you're going to choose and focus your energy. You know, and that that's not one for me. But let's skip ahead and talk about some Disney cards because they came on the scene recently. Yeah, they look really good. Oh. Yeah, so Brian, have you actually gotten a chance to look at these cards? Because they were yeah. sharing them around the internet a couple days ago. They look really good. There's even a Robin Hood card already. I was not expecting them to go back quite that far. So that's cool. They really a good representation with the card they showed so far of various eras of Disney content. I thought, hey, maybe they'll push, you know, like I have the Disney Smash Up and a lot of it has like Frozen, uh, Big Hero 6, some of the newer properties. So I thought they would, and I'm sure they will appear in the game at some point, but when I saw Robin Hood, that just hit my, you know, I'm giggly <laughs> with excitement right there. I would, not, I would not, not have thought he would have been one of the first cards, certainly. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you because I kind of was wondering, like, I, I sort of thought, okay, they'll probably do the last eight to ten years worth of characters and try to focus on those. And then we'll get, like, a classic set. And then we'll get, I don't know, like a Pixar Disney set yeah. or whatever, you know, like, and work them all in that way. And then over the course of four or five years, we get a large chunk of the library. Hell, who knows? Maybe we can get one that's just, like, the live action set or whatever. You right. get, like, a Mary Poppins and, you know, whatever. Like, but what we got looks neat. Now, I haven't obviously seen all the rules for it yet, so I have no idea if it plays worth a damn. But I'm going to assume, I mean, Ravensburger hasn't made a bad game with this license yet, so I'm going to assume it's going to play well. Yeah, that was my they, assumption, right? You're yeah. working with a company that's known for making a lot of games and understands how to work with you as a company already. So that that's going to go a long way. But I don't know. I, I'm kind of interested in even doing some content for it because the cards do look genuinely interesting, even without being a big, like, I don't know, what's the term, like Disney file? I don't know. I'm sure they have some name for the people who are big Disney fans. But I don't None know. of them, you, you don't have any Disney property where you'd be like, okay, yeah, I, I mean, I want all of them. Um, That's a good question. I'm saying, like, if there was a way to, like, build a fun theme deck i might do some throwback ones you know if i could do like i don't know uh christopher robin and his boys you know i might do something like that with like an eeyore piglet and poo all in a deck i might do something like that or that i don't know put together the whole rescue rangers crew or something yeah. <laughs> like i might do that if it was an option but I don't know if I have one that just stands out for me that just like the ESPN set. I play Stephen A. Smith. That would be funny if that quite happened. frankly. Yeah, they, they own so much stuff. So who the hell knows? Right? I mean, Disney Disney has their hands in it. Hell, you could get a Marvel set as part of it, actually, because yep. they own that too. So, Star Wars. I mean, there's yeah. so much potential. And that's the thing, depending on how far it goes or how many years it goes, 
I mean, couldn't open the door for a lot of stuff, but I'm, I'm into it. I might even make some content with it. That's where I'm at. I, I'm pretty hyped. And heck, I may also do some content on it if it's uh, as good as it, it turns out to play, as good as it looks, and I have no reason to expect that it's not going to play well. Well, that actually kind of brings up something. So let's kind of skip to the dinner table here. Because if we're going to be learning a new game, one of the things that comes up is how do you have those interactions with new players when you're trying to teach them a game? And one of the popular things I've been seeing lately is, well, you should always let the new player win. And what's funny is I've not followed that when I've been teaching people over the, gosh, two decades I've taught people how to play games. Well, I guess even before that, technically, but professionally, the last two decades. And I don't know about your approach, but for me, a lot of people I've been teaching are, if they're not gamers, they're gaming adjacent, right? Just learning some new game or something they heard about through whatever, social circles or whatever. And they kind of know when you're placating them and they're like, you just let me win, right? You know? So for me, it's always been about just make it interactive and fun and just keep it close. And then give them a chance to find like the big play that could push through for the win. And then when they do, you get a big moment. And when they don't, you're like, ah, man, you were this close. If you'd have done this instead of this or whatever. So they can still walk away going like, okay, I get it. And I almost won, you know, and there's still excitement. But just saying automatically, like, let them win. It feels kind of bad. Yeah, no, I, I would. I don't usually let the course. I got to be honest. Most of my teaching experiences, you know, my wife and kids, and they don't even give it. They usually, before I finish teaching them, are, are going upside my head with whatever card. I was gonna say your kids might whoop your ass at a lot of games. The the first time Braden played Smash Up, he destroyed all of us, and, and <laughs> we had been playing for several months at that point. That makes sense. He he unlocked some combos we had never thought of before. Like, okay, <laughs> you. He was teaching us, basically. I totally believe that. So, yeah, I don't know. I I think that's everybody's default. And I think the idea is that if you let them win, they're going to enjoy the game more. But I think it's more about sharing the experience and going through it and, like, the discovery. You know, like, even when teaching people magic out of starters and they go, like, wait, this card says this. Like, if I put these together, can I attack with this? Like, yeah, you totally can. And then they're, like, excited to do a thing and deal, like, five damage to you or whatever. That's what it's about more than just winning or losing. Because if you just let them win and they don't feel like anything happened, well, that's no good either. Or if you just smash them and they just walk away going, nah, I can't figure this out. This is way too complicated. Right. Right. So you need that good middle ground that keeps interest and excitement. And some people are just better teachers than others. You know, I think we have to keep that in, in mind Definitely. as well. All right, Brian, why don't you everybody where they can find you on socials? All right, I am Brian Sonic on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, and our family channel on YouTube is Alad's Ever After. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. And man, there's so much content coming down the pipe. Keep your eyes open. Otherwise, wherever you are listening, whenever you are listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please take care of yourself. Protect your family from the COVID, the flu, the monkey pox, the everything that's coming back. Just watch yourself. And remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate other patreon.com slash colorofmagic. You can also find us on Facebook under Color of Magic. 
And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 